Lord, we thank you for today and uh, that you are the Lord even of the Sabbath and that you gave us the Sabbath as a gift. We pray that you would um, bless us with your word, wash us with your word today, Lord. Uh, and we pray that your word would be spoken and not opinions. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are going to talk about the gospel and the authority that the gospel is spoken in. Um, let's go to the outline here. Uh, the first thing we're going to do, is, and I'm going to breeze through the first few bullet points quickly, I think. But the first thing we're going to do is just establish that there is a pattern, that authority and the gospel, there's a pattern of it in Scripture, right? Um, we're going to talk about the source of that authority. It's got to come from somewhere. Uh, you don't just make it up. And we're going to talk about the seven institutions of government. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, I've got a diagram. So we'll, we'll look closer at it. And then we're going to talk about the impact of the gospel because uh, it doesn't matter how much authority you have if you don't have something to say uh, and that thing you say isn't impactful, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, so there is a gospel and it's good news. And then we're going to talk, finally, this is where the rubber meets the road for us, is how we relate to an authoritative gospel presentation. And I'm not going to say um, how you should or shouldn't. I'm going to give you examples of how people have in Scripture responded to it. And you can decide in your own heart who you are, <laughs> how you think you've been responding to the gospel. And, uh, I mean, I guess I'll tell you how you should. Um, and if we twist uh, Josiah's arm, maybe he'll give you a practical, like, 10-step program on how to respond to the gospel. Uh, so ask him for that. That's not what I'm going to preach on. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> let's, without further ado, let's get into it. The pattern. The gospel is effective because it comes from authority. If there was no authority behind the gospel, it wouldn't be impactful. So let's get into the scripture here. And I'll show you that. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the thing that is implied here is that when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and then he says, go therefore, the therefore, we've got to find out why it's therefore, right? He's saying, you go because I have the authority, what he's saying, what he's implying is that you're going in my name and you're going under my authority. When you go, um, you have my authority going with you. That's, that's a big deal. That means they're going to be successful. Right? If he said, go, um, and maybe people will listen to you. Maybe if you are if you speak confidently enough, they'll believe you. Maybe if you have enough of your own authority. If it was up to us to come up with the authority, uh, God wouldn't have chosen us. He would have chosen kings. <laughs> but he chose us because he has the authority. So, Luke four thirty-one through 37. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teachings, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. That's another thing that uh, I think you'll see in gospel presentations or where authority is mentioned is power. Those are very closely connected. There's no power outside of authority. So my example of this, um, it's a bit of a history lesson. So... In the creating of this wonderful nation that we're a part of, um, there was a key battle. Uh, it was the Battle of Yorktown, where the British General Cornwallis was held up in Yorktown. And uh, this battle was the deciding factor in us winning the Revolutionary War. Okay? Long story short, we won. Good job, guys. Congratulations. <laughs> That's why you're drinking coffee this morning and not tea. Uh, so what I'm talking about is after this great victory, there's some good news to spread to people. Or if you're on the losing side, some bad news. So Washington um, decides the guy he's going to send to give this good news is going to be his right-hand man, the guy that's been by his side uh, from the very beginning. And he sends this guy. And so this is, I think it's October 20th that this battle's won, right? October 20th, sends this guy. He's taking boat, goes, gets on a horse, and for four days he goes from horse to horse to horse, finding fresh horses wherever he can, and just rides straight for four days and covers 300 miles in four days. And he gets to Congress and he tells them, and it's a party, right? Now, on the British side, um, their first news of it was from rumors of people who escaped before the surrender even happened. And they got there 12 hours later. They had already heard the cannons and the celebration uh, and co coming from Congress. And so they just got rumors, and it was 12 hours later, and they didn't really believe them. And they got more rumors over the next few days from random people, from captured uh, documents, from all kinds of untrustworthy sources. And it wasn't until like a whole week later, October 27th, after the battle was won, that they got a trustworthy enough account that they had lost. So the reason I'm sharing this story is because it's showing a difference of authority. The guy who brought the news to the Americans, to Congress, was Washington's right-hand man. Right? Congress didn't you know, pitter-patter, they didn't wait and say, hey, let's see, if, let's get a couple other opinions or uh, sources. They're like, this is Washington's right-hand man. We believe him. And not only that, but when you send someone that you send in authority, they're going to do all they can to get there faster. <laughs> right? And because of that, uh, we, they had a three-day head start, like a three-day jump start on making the next step plans for celebrating for all of this. So authority matters, right? Um, this is like when you're playing a sport. I don't know if anyone's played a sport or an instrument, right? And then your parents never played that sport or that instrument. Anybody familiar with this? Okay. Now, when you have a coach or a teacher give you advice, you're listening, right? And then when your parent tries to give you advice, do you listen the same way? 
No, because they don't have experience with that, right? You don't see the authority in that realm. Or even worse, your sibling tries to come up to you and tell you what you ought to do better. They don't even have authority over you at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just saying, it, I'm trying to be relatable. Right, but that's the thing here is that there's a difference in authority. You're going to believe the person who you think has authority. It could be the same message. That's what I'm trying to say. It could be the same message, but someone who's walking, who's coming in authority, you're going to hear them better. So, that's the pattern. Seven institutions of government. Quickly, we're going to look at the first one here. All right. Um, we're going to go through this very quickly because I'm going to zone in on something. I hope that's clear. Um, this is a truth that you can see uh, in God's ordained structure of how things work. The first person responsible for you is you. Right? The first person who has authority to decide when you wake up in the morning is yourself. Right? The first person who should decide what you're wearing is yourself. Or when you're going to the restroom. Right? Like, you're firstly responsible for whether you do your homework or do your job, how you manage your time. Right? Now, when you fail to do that because, uh, for whatever reason, maybe you're ju- you can't even walk yet so you, or talk, so you can't communicate what foods you like or don't like, uh, that responsibility falls on your family, on your parents, to help you make those decisions, to help you make the decision of, listen, it's 30 degrees outside, maybe you should wear a coat. You didn't make a good choice, so I'm going to help you make a better choice, <laughs> right? And if all else fails, then you, the church helps you make that choice, right? And so on and so forth until finally you're in a bad spot if the civil government's coming to you because they are not merciful. If they have to tell you you're doing something wrong, you're going to be in prison, Probably. Right? They are not merciful. But if you stop yourself, no harm, no foul. <laughs> Usually even your family has some grace for you. right? But by the time you get to civil government, you're in a bad spot. So I want to focus on the first three levels here. So if we can go to the next slide. This is what is going to change the world. <laughs> this three-legged stool of self, family, and church is how we change nations. Right? And you can see at each level you build up, right? Um, A family is just a bunch of individuals that get together under one household, right? And a church, what is a church other than a family of families? Right? But if we can't make changes, if we can't have the authority, if we aren't responding to the authority that the gospel's given in at these levels, schools aren't going to change. Your workplace isn't going to change. Social norms, they're not going to change. The government's not going to change no matter who you get in as president or into uh, Congress or whatever, right? It changes with the individuals and then builds up. And this is super important. I mean, we're out here, we're always worried about, like, what movies are out there or uh, we're worried about what the people at work said or, like, I can't believe I have to... Um, you know, do business with these people. 
We're always worried about how schools are looking. We're, we want, uh, let's get Bibles back into public schools, right? Well, that wasn't an issue when all the families wanted the Bible in schools. Because if every family wanted a Bible in school, guess what? The Bibles would be in the school. <laughs> right? That's how things change. It changes with individuals. It changes with family and it changes with church. That's where it starts. And this is like delegated authority, okay? So you can see that process of it building on each other. So let's get into some scripture about it. First off, Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Right? That's a hard one to hear. <laughs> They're delegated authority over us. But guess what? There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So I'm trying to set us up here by showing that seven institutions of government uh, diagram and by starting with this verse is when we're going to talk about the gospel, the gospel isn't just, it's not, you're not hearing it just from scripture every time. Okay, it's going to come from other sources. Other people are going to preach the gospel to you. And other people have authority to preach that gospel to you, is what I'm trying to get at. Because God's instituted them to preach that word to you. God's put people in our lives to tell us what truth is. To wash us with the word. God's put people in our lives that we ought to listen to. I mean, the first one, the obvious one that we always talk about is the church, the level of the church, right? It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So that's one we use a lot here. We talk about a lot, right? It seems pretty obvious if your pastor comes to you and preaches the gospel to you, um, you probably think, yeah, I should probably listen to him. He has authority in this area, right? But it goes to families too, right? Ephesians 5 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, great, we're on board with that. We submit to Christ. Cool. So also, wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It's a little harder in our culture. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So I say this to say that there's two sides to this. Not only has God instituted people in your life to speak the gospel to you in authority, all of us at some point will have authority over someone else. And it's, job, it's our job to preach the gospel to them. So if you're a husband... You need to be washing your wife in the word of God. It is your responsibility to say, hey, she has a tough question. She's struggling with something. I'm paying attention. I see that, that something's going on with her. And I'm going to wash her with the word. Wash her with the gospel. If you're a parent and you see your child struggling, right? Parenting is less about making sure they follow all the rules, and more about making sure they hear the gospel. 
you're struggling emotionally, you know, you're acting out, it, maybe they don't need discipline. Maybe they need to be reminded of what God's promises are. Maybe they need to be shown that, right? I guarantee they need shown that. That's your responsibility as a parent. That's a big calling. Well, Abel probably wouldn't have been killed, <laughs> right? If if Cain took his responsibility as his brother seriously, he wouldn't have killed his brother, <laughs> right? Um, the thing lacking here wasn't wasn't Cain wasn't hearing others in authority over him. God was speaking to him in authority, and he wasn't listening. And we'll get to that, about what that looks like. But what I'm trying to share here is like, I think we do a good job of preaching on um, spiritual disciplines. That's preaching the word to yourself. That's preaching the gospel to yourself, right? When you read the Bible, when you're in worship, uh, you're singing the lyrics out loud, you're praying to God and uh, you're recalling the Psalms and all his promises. You're preaching to yourself. And we're, we do great about talking about that from the pulpit. We do great about that with books we recommend. We do great with that, um, with knowing in our own heads, like, this is something I should do. And I think sometimes we do a pretty good job of that with the church, and we talk about um, how we have leaders and elders, and they're watching over our soul, and, you know, you should listen to your discipler who's trying to preach life into you, and we get up every Sunday, and you come here on Sunday, and you listen to the people preaching, right, because they have authority, because someone said they're allowed to come up here and preach, right? But we need to remember in our own households that this is a dynamic that needs to be carried out, right? In single brothers' households, we pick a household head because there needs to be someone who's keeping watch over his brother's souls. Who's washing them with the word. And those brothers ought to be listening to their household head. It, God instituted household heads for a reason. Because, you know... The pastor's not going to be in everybody's home knowing exactly every little situation going on with them. But the person living with you is. And God's given them authority to preach the word to you. And that means if you're not hearing them, you're not hearing God. You're poo-pooing God's authority. And if you're shirking your responsibility as a head of household and saying uh, they need to handle that themselves, you're not bearing that responsibility well. Right? We need to be intimately involved with each other's lives and know what's going on because the gospel, it's not just about spiritual disciplines. You know, it's not each individual's responsibility to get washed in the word themselves. We have to be preaching the gospel to each other, especially if someone's submitted to you, right? If you are a husband, you need to be washing your wife in the word. And it's right and it's normal and she ought to listen to you when you have something to say. And same with parents. Like, the most frustrating thing as a parent, I imagine, haven't been there yet, is a child who doesn't listen to you. <laughs> is that right? I don't know. <laughs> How frustrating, right? You're trying to wash them in the word and they say, uh, no, I'd rather go hear it from someone else, right? That's why there's commandments to children to obey their parents. And there's promises that go along with that. 
So let's look at some of these promises. Let's look at the impact of the gospel. I could have gone here for a really long time, but again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because there is so much to be said. But Luke 4, 17 through 20, uh, previously, earlier, we spoke about the authority of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you remember, we all the way back under the pattern, we were looking at Luke 4, 31 through 37. And everyone's like, what's this authority he's speaking in? You know, And then Jesus like casts a demon out of a guy. And everyone's like, whoa, this is a new message. This, he's not just saying stuff. He's backing it up with authority and power. So now fast forward, what came first? Well, here's his, his gospel presentation of what, he, what Jesus said the gospel was going to be. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were were fixed on him. This is the gospel, and this is good news. It's good news that it's a relief from our bad news. The good news is all of us who are captive to our sin are set free. It's good news that all of us who are blind will get to see And all of us who have been waiting years and years and years for the Lord's favor will have it. And do have it. Right? Something I've learned through this year is that if I didn't have people to remind me of this, I'd get in really dark places. I I forget this so quickly. On one hand, I forget that I even am poor and captive to my sin. I forget that I'm blind. And then on the other hand, I forget that Christ came to give me sight and liberty. Because life comes along and things start looking like maybe that's not true. But when I have people preaching the gospel to me regularly, it's hard to forget. That's why we come to, one of the reasons we come to church every Sunday is like, it's hard to forget something if it's being drilled into your head every week. It's hard for, to forget what God said when you're reading your Bible every day. It's hard to forget when you have a spouse that loves you so much and is concerned for you so much that they want to share truth with you, even though they know uh, you might be stubborn and might not want to hear it at first, they're going to take that risk because they love you. The gospel's a risk, right? Um... If you haven't watched The Chosen yet, you should. They do a really good job of showing this this, uh, section of Scripture. During this section of Scripture, Jesus is in his hometown. And this is 
him getting up in front of them and saying, later on it says that he, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, I came to give salvation. He was risking his, his status in his hometown. Not because um, he had some pride about it or anything like that but because he cared for him so much that he was willing to risk those relationships so that they could hear the gospel. What I think they did a really good job in The Chosen is uh, when Jesus is giving this presentation, he's like, how can you not know that you need a year of, the, of favor? How can you not know that you need a year of the Lord's favor? That is us. Like, if you don't get that, you can't even start with the gospel. But that's our job to, to preach that to people, is to go up to the person who's not asking for the gospel and, and reminding them, you need a, a year of the Lord's favor. You're being really blind right now. You can't see. You need to see. It's a risk. But you need to risk making some enemies if you want to save people. If you want to love on them. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. Ephesians 6.1-3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What a promise. Just simply obey your parents and you're going to have like a wonderful life. Like your life's going to go well and you're going to live long. Just listen to them. Just listen to your spouse. Wouldn't it be better to live in harmony in your home than in strife? You should be happy that someone loves you enough to preach the gospel to you, so you better listen to them when they do. So let's look at some examples of how people have responded to a gospel presentation. First, I'm going to call this the example of the Herodians. You could call this the example of the Gentiles or the people living a licentious life. You could kind of call this uh, the typical American you're going to come up against. Typical non-Christian American you come up against. Mark six seventeen. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Okay. Herod took his brother's wife for his own. That's really messed up. And even more messed up, he named her after himself. Weird. And he imprisoned John because John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Could you imagine going up to a king, one who doesn't live by your laws or your rules, who's notoriously like kind of a bad guy, and telling him what you're doing isn't right. The person you married, that's wrong. You shouldn't have married them. That was your brother's wife. Of course he was going to go into prison. <laughs> he knew that. <laughs> but here's where it gets interesting. <laughs> so it says, And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not because Herod feared John. 
knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Why does he fear John? Because John was walking in authority. He recognized John's authority. It says, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. Now, this section of scripture is really interesting because it kind of implies like John's in prison and Herod was hearing him regularly. So like he was go- having people go get John out of prison just so, pres- so John could like preach the gospel to him some more. Right? That's weird. <laughs> I, the inspiration for this sermon really started when I was reading through Mark and I got to the gathering demoniac, right? And Jesus does this wonderful thing of setting a man free of like all these demons. And he goes from cutting himself with rocks, not being able to be chained, living in a cemetery because the whole town kicked him out there. And this man goes from that to being in his right mind, like totally calm, totally safe to be around. You'd be like, yeah, my kids are safe to be around this guy. That's wild. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful message because sometimes we feel like the person who's not safe to be around. And for God to change our hearts where people feel safe around us, that's wonderful. It's a miracle. And what is the town's response? Not a normal one, <laughs> right? So I'm thinking about this, and I'm, I'm reading all these other accounts, and it's like, this is a weird account from Herod. This is strange. Why would he respond this way? He clearly doesn't want to give up his wife, his brother's wife. He doesn't want to change his lifestyle. He, yet he feared John, even though he had him in prison. Have you ever feared someone that you had in prison? Weird. He feared him, and yet he kept hearing him gladly. Kept calling him out of his prison cell to come preach to him. That's weird. I don't understand it. But that's our hearts. There's a lot of us who fear God. We understand he has authority. But we don't want his righteousness. That's where, where it stops. We don't want all of it. We don't want all of God. Sure, yeah. Like a moth coming to a bright light. Right. God is, in a way, irresistible, and yet these people see that it requires righteousness, and they say, that's too much. So let's go to Mark 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they may accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or kill? But they were silent because they knew they were wrong. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is a weird thing. A miracle just happened because of the gospel. A man's hand was restored and instead of exclaiming with joy, they went and plotted Christ's death. Now, I'm going to argue they were afraid, and that's why they were silent, right? In other passages, you hear the Pharisees' response of saying, like, they didn't want to answer him because they knew that um, if they answered wrong, they were afraid, like, the crowds would get, get them because they knew Jesus had authority to be speaking like this, and they knew the people saw his authority. 
And yet, even though they feared Christ, they didn't want this mercy. They just wanted the righteousness. They just wanted the rules, the laws, the things that made them look holy. Mercy's where they stopped. I heard someone talking about presenting the gospel, and if you're preaching, they said if you're preaching the right gospel, uh, you're not going to make one group, you're not going to make like the, you know, like the licentious liberal people who want to live their own way mad, or the pharisaical, like law-abiding, you know, like righteous, self-righteous people who just want everyone to follow the rules, you're not just going to make them mad. You're going to make everybody mad if you're preaching the right gospel because it's a whole package. It's the bad news and the good news. Now there's a third group, and this is the group that I really hope none of us are a part of. I'd rather you be a Herodian or a Pharisee before being this group. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Jesus is in his, own, his hometown. And it says he, he went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Saying, where did this man get these things What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and his own household. And he could not do many he could not do mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. These people didn't even get to the starting line. They didn't recognize Christ's authority at all. They didn't fear him at all. They they couldn't even get past the fact that they needed bad news. Remember when I said uh, the Chosen did a really good job of, of showing this when Christ is like, don't you know you need a year of the Lord's favor? That's these people. That's these people who don't even recognize like, yeah, we've been praying for a Messiah, but we don't really need one. We don't need you, Christ. We don't need your miracles. They took offense at him. They didn't fear him. It's like if you can't even wrestle with, like Christ came with such a big message and so much authority that he's challenging all the other authority. Okay? That's a big deal. Like that's why he ruffled so many feathers. When he came and when you come in an authority, you're challenging all the other authority. When you come in and you say that family has higher authority than the government, the government gets weird. They take that as a challenge. They say, you're not allowed to homeschool, right? That's what people do when someone comes in with authority, the ones currently with authority feel challenged because they are being challenged. Christ was coming in and saying that The Pharisees didn't have the way to righteousness. He was saying that he did. Mm -hmm. And if you can't even see that that's what he's doing, if you can't even see that he's challenging your very way of life, like if you're not afraid when Jesus, when you hear the gospel, that's the worst place to be. At least the people who fear him have recognized that there's something different going on. Let's talk about the disciples. And I guess if you're going to say this is the way we should be, uh, this would be the one. 
Mark 4.35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, just real quickly, I'm going to, like, let's try and grip the idea of how terrifying the situation is. Um... I don't know if anyone else had this experience, um, but I was even a little afraid to be in the deep end of the pool as a kid. Anybody else? Okay. Could you see the bottom of the pool? I mean, if you, if you look in there, you could probably see the bottom, and you know there's no sharks in the deep end of the pool, right? And you know there's a lifeguard, and probably at least your parents care enough to save you from drowning, and it's pretty safe, Right? Now the ocean, even if it's crystal clear, you're not going to see the bottom. Okay? But guess what? It's not crystal clear, especially in a storm. You're talking about the scariest storm you've been in with dark clouds and thunder and lightnings and this calm water that you were on when you were enjoying the sun. Now you're on this rinky-dink boat and these huge waves are crashing, and water's coming onto the boat, your only life preserver, this boat that you're hanging on to for dear life, hoping you don't get swept off, is sinking. And so once something starts sinking, it keeps sinking. And it will go all the way to the bottom if it's not ripped in half by these waves. In scripture, and in fact, in most cultures, the ocean is a symbol of chaos. It's a symbol of the unknown, the mysterious, where monsters live. Because guess what? Monsters do live in the ocean. Giant squids that can rip a boat in half. Sharks. Killer whales. And this is like, okay, so they're not in that ocean, but you get the idea. This is terrifying. And Jesus comes up and he says, peace be still. And have you ever seen a storm just end? No, that's not how they work. They end slowly. Or even the quick ones, you see the progression. But he said, peace be still, and the wind ceased. And the waves didn't rock and get a little slower. They stopped. And it was still. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He's asking, why are you afraid of the the sea? And then it says, and they were filled with great fear. Right? They were supposed to be afraid of the storm. And Jesus told the storm to stop, and it stopped. And that's when they got filled with fear. They said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So when approached with the gospel, it should give us a level of fear, all of us. That's the starting point. There's bad news here. Authority's changing. You're no longer in charge of your life. Your sin has to be reckoned with. You are guilty. That's the starting point, is recognizing you are guilty. And that's terrifying. But the disciples, did they stop following Christ? No. They followed him. They were, they sought out to be more righteous. They sought out mercy. They were filled with great fear and they received the gospel gladly. 
And not only that, but they were so stoked about it, they went and told other people about it. So, like, this is what the gospel looks like. The gospel, a gospel presentation with authority, that's what it looks like, and that's what our response should be. And I want us to remember, like, that gospel presentation with authority is going to come from people that God's ordained, oftentimes. And that is your parents, if you're living with them. That is your husband. That is, you know, the person preaching on Sunday. Right? And if we don't listen to those presentations, the world's not going to change. Our hearts aren't going to change. Right? The Pharisees feared God, but they never changed. Herod feared John, but he never changed his ways. But the, the disciples, the apostles, they feared God and their whole worlds were, were flipped upside down Amen. because of it. Mm-hmm. And if we want that change, if we want the culture to look different, we need to be listening to those who are preaching the gospel to us. Starting in our own homes. And on the flip side, if you have someone submitted to you, right, a child a wife, a congregation, it's your duty to preach the gospel to them. God's put you there to do that. That's like your main job. So don't be slacking it. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that in our years of struggle, strife, of despair, of sorrow. Lord, you carried our sorrow. You became broken so that we may become healed. We pray that we would have ears to hear those uh, in authority over us, Lord. We pray we would recognize who's in authority based on your word, Lord. And we thank you that you've ordained people to preach your word to us. Let us hear it gladly and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.